0: Hello, my name is Kristen Keats and this is the Spotlight Podcast. In this episode, we're talking to the amazing Zoe Alba-Frugia, an international performer who is also Creative Edinburgh's Programme Manager. Zoe is also the co-founder and co-artistic director of Prickly Pear Productions, which is a female-led theatre company that champions underrepresented stories and artists. Amongst other things, we're discussing access to the UK performing arts scene if you're an international artist, any challenges that that may raise as well as opportunities, The representation of women, particularly migrant women in the arts, and ways that the industry could better open itself up to include and represent different nationalities and cultures. We also discussed starting your own theatre company and the collaborative nature of the creative industry in Scotland. I found it to be a really interesting chat and I'm excited to share it with you. Hi Zoe and welcome to the Spotlight podcast.
1: Hi, hi Kristen, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thank
0: you for being here. Um, So the first thing is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in the arts?
1: Oh, okay. So in 1990... No, I'm joking. I mean, you can. So, yeah, I'm from Malta originally, but I currently reside in Edinburgh, Scotland, which is lovely. And I actually started off in flamenco um, dancing. I was a dancer for oh. yeah for, for 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 the first oh, wow well yeah I was gonna say the first 15 years of my life but I was three when I started and then I stopped when I was 18 so um I did that typical thing of being a teenager doing my A-levels and being like I don't have time for the arts and and I gave up dancing and um yeah my yeah my journey unfortunately is a zigzag in that I don't have that that moment where I was like this is my future. There's uh-huh. not that like shining, glorious revelation. It was more I f- I stumbled into what I now do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so then I I went on to study fine art and history of art. And then I decided to do my major at university in theatre studies. So I did that and um, learned all the boring things about Stanislavsky and Meyerhold and all the things that... They still decide to teach in theater studies for some reason. Um, I mean, obviously, I know they're important, but yeah, um, not enough. <laughs> not not enough practical work. Uh, right, and then you're I more
0: practical than theory.
1: <laughs> that's it. Way more. Yeah, I'm not a very good theorist. And um, and then from there, I actually spent um, some time in London working in an English school um, before I did my last year at uni and. I guess maybe that maybe was my opening eyes moment, but I just, um, for me, I had been to London before, but never as an adult Mm -hmm. and going to West End shows and affording to take myself out because I was getting paid from the English school um, was amazing. And, And I'm very privileged to have that experience because I was going to like five shows a week because I was student eating nothing but you know like a baguette for lunch and <laughs> and so I could afford to, to pay for tickets and <laughs> scrimp out on whatever I even watched Lemiz at the back standing next to the sound desk because I begged them every day to let me in because they were sold out and then he was like if you pay a fiver you can stand at the back that's what I did
0: there you go be persistent
1: (laughs) be persistent that's the lesson from today um and anyway yeah from there I decided to move to the UK after I finished university and I actually lived in in Yorkshire after living in London um before moving up to Scotland so it's been a bit of a journey further Mm -hmm. north every time I'm like actually (laughs) I want to keep going up
0: (laughs) a little step more a little step more and
1: then
0: do you remember what the first show is that you saw
1: Oh, my God, yes. It was Thriller of Michael Jackson, which obviously now, in hindsight, this was 2012, so didn't exactly know the history of that artist, <laughs> but um, it was a great show. And um, I had never watched a sort of jukebox, jukebox musical before, so that was quite uh-huh. interesting. And then that went to Wicked, to Les Mis, like the classics from there. But um, that was, yeah, I remember sitting in that theatre and just crying a bit. I was like, wow this is powerful um which was very nice
0: and that was your moment of revelation maybe
1: yeah maybe that was it yeah
0: <laughs> putting words in your mouth there. maybe it's not that's okay <laughs> no no yeah <laughs> um and what so you went on to want to be a performer mm-hmm. um and so what was your experience <laughs> yeah. like as a international performer working in the uk
1: oh that's uh yeah i guess that's uh It's a a semi-difficult question to answer because it's coming here. I had a lot of performance experience from Waltz, obviously, but moving here, I naively thought that, you know, I have my degree, I have years of experience, I'm trained, that I would would genuinely, like, end up working in theatre within the first year of, of moving here, but that wasn't the case. And I found it very difficult because... A lot of places don't necessarily take into account your experience abroad. A lot of places, yeah, so a lot of places don't... You know, all the experience I have for Malta, they just didn't count it. And so it looked like in their eyes, I was untrained and didn't have the experience necessary to actually work in the UK. So it was very difficult trying to build up my credentials here, especially Mm -hmm. because... As you can hear, I don't have a British accent. (laughs) I can't, I can't, um, I can't fake one. I'm very bad at impressions, especially regional ones. I could never, could never. A lot of people think I'm Welsh, which is even funnier (laughs) because I sound nothing like my Welsh friends and they hate when they've been around me when people have said, like, oh, you sound Welsh. And they're like, I'm Welsh. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm Welsh, not her. Um, so maybe I could pretend to be Welsh. But yeah, so it was very difficult having a, a different accent. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I got into a lot of community theatre and that is what really built my love for community theatre because the people in the community, especially in Sheffield, the community theatre, they were great and they were so accepting. But at a professional level, it is still very difficult for migrants especially. To get any work that's paid, you know, because when it's community theatre, you're unpaid. I can act, that's great. They cast me in a few things, but um, getting paid work took a lot more effort, took a lot more time. And one thing I am grateful for is when I did sign up for Spotlight, is that all my previous work experience was counted for. So I'm like, why is a big industry casting, you know? platform like Spotlight accepting my past experience, yet it's overlooked by actual casting people. So,
0: so is it casting directors and productions where where you are having the problems?
1: Yeah, and and not only, I mean, just going into auditions and right. and I'm not the only one. So I, I obviously speak for myself, but I know this is true with a lot of other migrants here in the UK. Mm-hmm sometimes they don't even get you in the room because it's hard to put us in a box. And I feel like the industry has, has semi become a bit of a tick box situation where I am white, but I'm not white British, but I'm also a minority because I'm a migrant. Um, but I'm also, you know, just I, I'm, I have been called exotic, which I hate. I, I, I hate, when people call me that, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, no, um, if you're out there using that word for just Mediterranean people, please stop. <laughs> but, um, and this is, this is no hate. I have met lots of people that have been amazing as well. This is obviously just my lived experience, but mm-hmm. uh, there have been casting directors and I find the casting directors that that overlook this are ones that are also foreign. Oh, right. So, so they know that you know your experience is valid and worthwhile. Um, so yeah, it's 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 different with different people, I would say.
0: But did you find any opportunities? Um, but that are open because you were foreign born. Were there any opportunities at all? Was it mostly challenges?
1: Hmm. It's it's hard it's hard because I have I have an even harder experience in that I was in in Sheffield in Yorkshire, right? So there's already limited opportunities in Yorkshire because if I look at Edinburgh here, I've had loads of opportunities come up, and not just because I have lived here now and had the credentials, but because in Scotland they're also a, a lot more open to to migrants, especially Edinburgh because it's a city, whereas yeah. Sheffield, Sheffield doesn't it's not. Unfortunately, brimming with opportunities already. Um, okay. So it's so the the small opportunities that, that there were, I couldn't get because I had my accent. So um, whereas I was getting opportunities in Leeds and I was getting opportunities in other places, so I've never actually had an opportunity sort of come about because I'm foreign. So you know, okay, I, I've I, I can speak different languages, and I've never been used to play a role where I speak a different language for example or I've never been used for a road where I yeah my my road is a foreigner if that makes sense so no actually sadly I've not had an opportunity because I'm foreign
0: so as you say you're you're currently based in Scotland well in Edinburgh mm-hmm. specifically um yeah. and aside from it being a lovely city how did you end up there or why did you choose to settle there and how long have you been there
1: Oh all yeah good question so um so this I can say I did have a eyes wide open deer in the headlights oh my god revelation um that I wanted to move here because when I came up to Scotland for the first time in 2017 I had been living in the UK for two years Mm -hmm. and I came up for my first fringe and um I came out of Waverly and I was just instantly enamored with the city. It's a beautiful place. And I had been coming up for a few years, obviously since 2017. And during the pandemic, I just spoke with my partner and I was like, look, ultimately you knew this is where I wanted to end up because I've been wanting to go there every year since. And now that I can't go there, it sort of dawned on me that I don't want to live in Sheffield anymore. And Sheffield is not the place for me because, because there aren't that many opportunities for me here. So we had a very you know, serious like, okay, let's actually look at this. And, and uh, so we moved as soon as we could really then after the lockdowns were lifted and that was August, 2021. So we've been here just over a year. And it is genuinely because it ticks so many boxes for me. It's a city, mm-hmm. it's it's diverse, not only in culture, but in, in, in the people that live here. The community is amazing. The creative community, especially in Edinburgh, is like nothing I've ever experienced. Everyone is so nice and so kind and so open to collaboration across sectors, but also in the theatre industry. Everyone's just lovely. And it's near the sea, which for me is a huge tick because I just, yeah. uh, being landlocked in Sheffield was, for a Mediterranean person, really <laughs> <tiny> hard. <laughs> really, really hard. Oh my God. Every time I saw the sea, I cried. So now that I get to live oh, near the you sea, needed to go. <laughs> I needed to go. And it's also really great because it's near the Pentlands and the Highlands and, you know, the Scottish countryside, which is also magic. Um, yeah. And my, my partner, Declan, he's a big hiker. He used to go into the Peak District every weekend to hike and stuff. So it just ticked every... I know we're talking about ticking boxes a lot, so I, I never use this language <laughs> in everyday life as much as I've used it here, I think. Um, but it, it did. It, <laughs> it, it did. It, just, it was just the, the city that, that won me over instantly, and I'm... I'm very happy we managed to to make it the dream a reality
0: you're doing a good job of selling it
1: <laughs> oh thanks everyone moved to Edinburgh <laughs> um, so
0: we'll go from going up for the fringe and then did how did you so you so I know that you work for Creative Edinburgh is that like yeah. the job that you got as soon as you moved to the city or is it something that came along for you
1: no, it did. It did come along after I moved. So my um, my job at the time of um, the pandemic was well, at the height of the pandemic, let's call it, um, was remote. So then I just got that job with me to, Shef- to from Sheffield to to Edinburgh, and my partner is the one who found a job first here, and that's how we moved because we didn't want to move without the job security, obviously, because yeah, we're millennials in this economic situation (laughs) and so we couldn't afford to live without it so and then um maybe four or five months later I got my job at Creative Edinburgh so it was quite quick um which is I'm very grateful for because they're a great team um which is
0: well can you tell us a little bit about Creative Edinburgh like what what you all do how many of you there are and and what, what your role is specifically as well
1: Sure, yeah. Um, so we're a team of five core staff. We're all ladies, which is really nice. Um, it wasn't, you know, designed to be that way. It just ended up being that way. And it's just really lovely. Um, we're all from a different country, which is even nicer. So we really understand each other when, you know, there's a situation where we're homesick or we're, we have family visiting. So we're a very empathetic team in that sense. And, um, I am the program manager, so I take care of all the program and the strategy, which means things like all our events, but also all our consultations and all our member support sessions that we would Mm -hmm. organize to do one-to-ones with our members. And we are the, the biggest membership creative organization in the UK, um in terms of what we do in serving all the creative community not just sort of one niche so we have about 5500 members which is um a lot for five people to tackle <laughs> <laughs> um but but again it's a really amazing community and when we are stuck we have a great support network within our membership to help us find those connections that we need to make for people to to really thrive and work and and continue to work within the city um and that's yeah that's us in an essence but we do a lot more we do um yeah so we do things like mentoring but we also do advocacy so we meet up with the government as many times as humanly possible or as many times as they listen to us to advocate <laughs> for freelancers and advocate for creatives within mm-hmm. the industry um we're constantly trying to um further funding opportunities so we don't we are barely funded, but when we can find funding pots that we can then distribute to others, we do that as well. Um, so we usually do that through the city council. They would give us a pot and then we would help distribute that amongst creatives who apply to it. Okay. Um, and that happens about once a year. So, yeah, we we basically just try to support as much as humanly possible the creative industry. And And at the moment, as you, everyone knows, It's very difficult in this climate. We've just had the film house close, which is and um, Edinburgh International Film Festival. So that was really difficult for the that
0: as well. Yeah, yeah, that was
1: difficult. Such a shame. So difficult for the city. Um, We have museums that are closing their doors for the winter because they can't afford lighting the building so yeah it's obviously a challenge for everyone and we're just trying our best to keep our heads above water but also support people to help them keep their heads yeah. above water as well um but that's us in a nutshell
0: <laughs> I, th- I think one of the things that i like that, that you guys do is um the creative circles um because mm, yeah. i think when especially when there's difficult situations going on. But but just generally I think that like community, finding your community is important and like networking mm-hmm. with like-minded people is important. Um, especially for creatives, especially I think for performers. Um mm-hmm. and so I, I love the sound of, of those. I don't I wonder <laughs> if you can just talk a little bit about those just so people know what I'm talking
1: about. <laughs> of, of course, sorry, yes, yes. Um I should have said that because it's our like our flagship so event. So Creative Circle is a monthly networking event that we run in different parts of the city. So um, we try to make sure we go out to community buildings and different places so that we can attract uh, as many people from the creative community around the city as possible. And each one has a bit of a theme. Um, So we have had about theatre, about dance, but we've also had about... um, images and the power of images and we've also mm-hmm. spoken about things like mental health and focusing on our mental well being. Um so it's not just uh niche topics every time. They can be very sort of well not general, but they can be sort of just talking about rather than one industry, but about the importance of connecting different industries together yeah. through images, for example. Mm-hmm. And um they I organize those and I am a big advocate of hating networking and I tell you why because ne- because <laughs> network networking can feel very rigid so yes I think it's really my aim for these is to actually create connections and go into it wanting not not for people to feel nervous about coming in and having to network, but coming in and just having a conversation and looking at it like that. Because yeah. I think networking, I mean, we it is our networking event, I guess, but, but networking is such a... Oh, I've I said this before term. in
0: previous podcasts where it's such an yeah. off-putting word. I don't know yes, if it's something so. that gets drilled into us at school or what, mm. but the word just immediately puts shivers down my spine. I
1: know. I hate, I, I genuinely hate networking. I find it really like, uh, yeah, just I'm not good at it and that you have to make small talk and, and whatever. But so that's why each of the creative circles, they have, the theme and the speaker so then you go off and you can speak to people about what was said in the room rather than having to make and then you can still sell yourself at the end if if yeah if you need to we give space for people to make announcements either through voice so they can come up to the front and speak about projects that they have going on and if they need collaborations or are looking for um particular people but there's also like we always take um a big cork board on an easel and people can stick stuff up. So if you're, you're divergent and it's not your thing, or Mm -hmm. if you just are introverted and you hate speaking in front of people, you can have your poster or something on that as well. So we try to make it such
0: a nice idea.
1: Yeah. We try to make it open to everyone. um, So that's, yeah, because for me, I, I don't mind going up to the front, but then I have friends who are really introverted and I know would hate that. So that's where yeah. the cork board came from. Um, and yeah, so we love that. And and that's going to remain a a core offering as part of Creative Edinburgh forever because it's we see people meet there for the first time. And then a few events later, we hear that they're working on a project together, our funding application. And it's just Amazing. so rewarding to yeah be able to facilitate that
0: yeah yeah and For how sure. can people get involved if they if they wanted to join
1: oh so yeah absolutely so if you are in edinburgh or work predominantly in edinburgh it is free to join we are launching um membership packages in the early of next year so 2023 hopefully by january will will be on the website but um f- our pack, one of our packages will always be free because we want mm. to make sure that our core offering, like Creative Circles, like our events and our workshops where we teach funding application, sk- funding application skills and, and all that are still free. But then if you want to pay and support Creative Edinburgh, you obviously get more benefits. So you can just go on the Creative Edinburgh w- website or find us on all social media platforms. And the sign-up form is really, really, really easy to fill out. Um, and, and yeah, if you can't afford to pay for the membership packages, then you can still get all the good stuff on a free, on a free package.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Um, we're talking about Edinburgh and Scotland generally. Have you, what Mm -hmm. sort of opportunities are there for creatives there that maybe is, maybe not as prevalent in the rest of the UK? Like Mm -hmm. why specifically Scotland?
1: There are, many to be honest there are many and what's good about scotland is that the industry the creative industry is still small enough that you can know a lot of people and 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 you know get work through word of mouth or but the, it's still very open and that i've i've seen a lot of opportunities advertised so like gaming like you say is really prevalent here and it's growing faster than i think they even know it um because They just had like a big game, gaming week. The industry sort of came together and organized that here. So that means that, for example, actors here are more likely to get more voiceover work and way more sort of like, I know it's not like the sexiest because you're not on stage or film, but you could be doing um, a lot of the sort of like, um, I forgot what it's called, but you know, where they put dots on your face and you're acting and I then like you're in a video game <laughs> motion capture type stuff. that's it thank you I, yeah. that's it so there's motion capture you know so for actors that's the, there's that um and what's great with scotland is that every sort of major-ish city has a creative network like creative embrace so there's creative dundee creative aberdeen there's glasgow can so there are big networks um mm-hmm. within scotland that support you and want to see you grow. And even for acting, there are some amazing theatres in Glasgow. Glasgow's hugely cultural. Um, and in my opinion, has some of the best theatre at the moment. And also Edinburgh. Well, I live here, so I'm a bit biased, but um, <laughs> you've got, you know, the Tron in Glasgow, but also the Traverse and the Lyceum dishing out some great, like great shows and good programming. So culturally i feel like scotland is brimming at the moment it's doing so well obviously there are funding cuts which is across the whole uk which is um another story but in terms of the creative community i think what's nice about scotland is there's a lot more cross-pollination that happens within the sectors because it's such a small creative industry People collaborate across sectors a lot more than I've seen happen in England because there isn't, it's not, you know, with England it's spread out so far, so it's not as easy. So it's no one's fault, it's just harder.
0: (laughs) Okay, interesting. So you co-founded Prickly Pear Productions. Um, So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about how that came about where the idea Ooh. came from what 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 prickly pear productions is and you know your vision and all you know all the grand stuff
1: <laughs> all the all the grand ideas yeah um <laughs> thank you um oh god okay um so the, the i guess the story of how we started is a, a weird one that i was in a play at at, at well at uh, a prominent theater in, in sheffield And my best friend was also in a play in the Peak District, and we were both miscast very, yeah, quite, quite badly. She was, they asked her to play an Indian actor, um, and she's Maltese, so not Indian heritage. So she felt very uncomfortable with that. And in a play I was in, um, refugees were cast as white British people. So I was very uncomfortable with that as well. So. Um it was a it was a situation where we were both just in plays and really unhappy with the place we were in, but 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 in that point in our career where we couldn't say no because we wanted the experience because we we're both Maltese and we needed mm-hmm. to build up our repertoire and and all that jazz. The the nice dilemma of I'm uncomfortable but I I don't know what to do if I move away from this. Can I get an opportunity like this again? And so we were at my house and I was sat on the floor. I still remember it's clear as day, having a meltdown and banging my fists on the ground, being like, I've had enough. I don't know what to do. And I want to make real change, but I don't know how to make it myself. And I'm, that's it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to start a theater company. And 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 that's that. And and she was like, this is Chantal. She was like, cool, I'll join you. Let's do it. And, and that's it. That's just, just that's genuinely the, the start of, of the company. From there, we started our first show scr- and we scratched it, which was called Immigration Crisis, the musical. <laughs> and that was l- quite literally what you can imagine about five women wanted to be a feminist piece about migration. And it was at the time of Brexit. So that was obviously... Um, Um, quite difficult for us because we had just moved and um, from there there was a lot to say (laughs) there was a lot to say and it was mainly focusing around actually the the humour in in what is said by you know far right and conservative Mm -hmm. newspapers around migrants and how we're invading and taking over and actually actually no that's not the case you know what I mean like there's no invasion this is not what's really happening. So it was a tongue in cheek and we we like to take really serious topics um, and just make fun of them in the sense of show people that, you know, there is humor, but also try to teach a lesson through that. I know that's, uh, yeah, very, it sounds very contradictory, but, but I guess that's what we try to do. But um, that, and that's how we started. And prickly pear has a lot of meaning because it's an ode to our home, Malta, but it's also, we like to take really serious topics like migration, like racism, like microaggressions. And so they're prickly topics, we call them. Um, <laughs> um, for example, we're doing a show about sexual assaults against women now. And so, yeah, we, none of our shows, unfortunately, are super funny. They're all have quite a serious theme behind them because. Our mission is to bring sort of really serious topics like racism, like microaggressions in the workplace, like sexual assault against women, like um, xenophobia against migrants to the forefront of theatre. But we also want to make it a conversation in that. So you're not leaving feeling really deflated like I do with a lot of play sometimes I mean they're great and it's good to feel that sadness but I also want people to feel empowered to create change and have these conversations with their loved ones and share that you know people go through these experiences and some of us are privileged enough not to have ever gone through any of these so how can we help the people going through them so I feel like I don't even know what I the question was anymore but yeah it's just a long-winded way to say (laughs) we're trying our best <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you covered it it was kind of where it came from and what, what you're about and I think you covered yeah. that perfectly um so what are your I guess the whole thing for you is like you know telling stories inspired by different cultures so how mm-hmm. do you select the stories that you're going to tell like who writes them or how do you how do you select them
1: that's a really great question I don't think we even know (laughs) the answer to that. (laughs) We've worked on a lot of different things and it's kind of, I mean, in an ideal world, we were paid uh, a wage to do prickly work and we actually got to curate how we moved forward. But as is with probably most companies our size, we kind of just go off whatever opportunity we can find and and what commissions and, and depends on on what the project is. We always we always say our ethos is that we let the story tell us how it wants to be told. So with Immigration Crisis, it was a musical because we always feel that musicals sort of come from a place of needing to express a bigger emotion through song. Um, we have a show called Nanas Bolognese, which we wanted it to tackle... The question of what is success and especially as a migrant, what does success mean if you move back home after living abroad, like that stigma of sometimes people see people who have moved away, come back and be like, oh, well, they didn't succeed because now they're back. Mm um and and also women in stem so we sort of took an approach of that and that was a children's show for example but we've also done things like refugee stories where we've done them through shadow puppetry and through puppetry because we feel yeah that we want to we want there to be a place for these stories to exist um but we always find that how do I wear this? It's really hard to tell these stories. So it's a really, really difficult topic. And we chose shadow puppetry because, one, we wanted to avoid the emotional turmoil that actors would have to go through to tell these stories. But also we wanted people to hear more than see so obviously with shadow puppetry you're more enveloped in the storytelling because there aren't actors to get distracted at on stage and we wanted people to really be enveloped in the stories of these refugees and also we did two shows shadow puppetry one was Bahar which was stories about the sea and missing the sea if you're a migrant but also what stories refugees have around the sea and then the second one was called displaced and that was entirely about refugee stories so yeah we wanted the audiences to be enveloped in those stories way more than paying attention to what was on stage if that makes sense and we thought we felt shadow puppetry was the best way to tell that so yeah it kind of depends on the commission but we always try our best to make sure that the stories are written authentically through either people who have these lived experiences. So all our shows are either devised, so devised with people in the room and then through research and interviews, or they are verbatim shows. Um, we don't really have Ananas was is our only one where Chantelle actually sat down and wrote it and just wrote whatever she wanted to write because that's a fantasy and it's a children's play so it was easier but when we tackle things like racism like refugee stories like uh, migrant migrant you know stories and problems they and obstacles they face it's always through very long <laughs> periods of research and then devising Um, Mm -hmm. because i'm not a writer i suck at writing for anyone out there that wants to start a theatre company and doesn't because of the writing part device you've got this (laughs) there is a way around writing
0: (laughs) do you ever um do you ever perform in any of the works that you put on
1: see this was another aim of the company was to, to give ourselves more work. We're like, well, we're not getting enough work as actors and we moved here to act. Let's start our own team. And then we end up just doing all the admin and the producing and the funding applications. I do do some acting, but not in every single show, no, because it's, and there's probably as many people um, with us, again, a small sort of theatre company num- number, Um it's really hard to wear all the hats and sometimes you, and sometimes you just need to wear the hats that give others the space to take on that opportunity. So a big, a big, a big goal of ours now, as we've evolved the past four years is to actually create the opportunities for people who aren't getting those opportunities like we were. Mm -hmm. Um, because, Acting is great and I love it and I would love to be a full-time actor. But I also realize that I am a white female with, from a privileged background of of having a very sort of like straightforward, inverted comma, straightforward career. Obviously, I've had my obstacles as a migrant when I moved here and I faced many challenges, but there are many other people that face way more challenges than me. So why not use my position of privilege to help others come up the ladder as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I try, or we try.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you've put on quite a few shows, so I think you're succeeding, which is which oh, is thank great. You. <laughs> um, and then, how do you, what's your thoughts on um, representation and opportunities for women in industry, particularly when it comes to being an immigrant?
1: It's really hard to be a woman in the industry because there are w- more women in this industry which means that our competition is way bigger um than those of men because men men uh, no matter what you unfortunately are are extremely outnumbered so if you're a man then you're you're going to get way more um and yeah being a migrant that adds another layer being a migrant being a black actress being a, an asian actress it, it adds that layer of being niche cast and never being able to Actually grow in any role um outside of that niche sort of casting um so that's a nutshell of that.
0: So can you tell us um about any projects you're currently working on and like how you're getting the, the group together to to be part of that?
1: Yeah, so well, at the moment we actually got commissioned to do um next week <laughs> just you know we to add stress to my life. um <laughs> next week we're doing a children's festival in Malta. And um, one of the shows is in Maltese. It's called Vi- Viach Ballon, which means the journey with the ball, which that's how it's exactly translated. So it doesn't make sense in English. In Maltese, I, I can assure you it makes sense. And it's about uh, a refugee, <laughs> a refugee boy who comes to Malta after fleeing um, war and how he integrates and makes friends through football, because he hasn't known the language yet, but he makes friends through the power of the sport. Um, And that's really great. And it's a puppetry show, and we love that show a lot. Um, And so we're adapting children's books into plays, basically. And then the second show is called Ride the Feelings, and it's about... uh, embracing your feelings and making sure you understand that when you're angry you can share that and when you're sad you can share that so it's a bit around basically introducing quite a small audience when I say small sorry young audience yes. to mental health so it's great very well. important yeah so important and we're really honored to have been um, asked to come in and do those two shows because they're really align super well with with what we want to do which is and even introducing mental health to young kids at such young ages yeah so so incredibly yeah it's a privilege and an honor for sure and then after that in the new year we start working on a show which for now the working title is walking home and that's the show about sexual assault against women and we're super scared not gonna lie to start this because it's a huge i mean we've been trying to get funding for it for about three years now it Mm -hmm. finally got funded and i feel like obviously with everything that's happened around the world maybe that's why it finally got funded this year to develop for next year i'm not going to sit here and complain that we finally managed to get funding obviously the circumstances around why it's more of a important issue is um, is quite sad, um, yeah. with you know more women coming forward and coming to light and more murders happening, which is really scary. So yeah, that show terrifies me and excites me at the same time because I really want us to tell the story well, but I also mm-hmm. want to honor all the women, you know, myself included, who have been victims of either assault or inappropriate comments or a touch here and there. And yeah, that's probably the scariest show we've ever put on in that sense, because it's quite, yeah, it's quite, quite hard. Um, And we want that show also to be a bit of a, a not a debate, but we want especially men to walk away feeling like they learned something and and questioning what they can do to be better and unpicking the patriarchal, toxic masculine sort of like embedded into them, Um, especially in Malta because it's such an insular, small island that a lot of men still have quite... uh, I would say like rigid I wouldn't say like they they have a problem not not all men sort of like commit assault obviously but they still might ask the question what was she wearing you know what I mean so there's right. that yep. embedded embedded I mean that still gets asked here doesn't it yeah Which yeah it's
0: ridiculous yeah.
1: yeah and we want to put on the show because it's universal isn't it it's a universal thing
0: yeah so you'll be putting that on in the UK and in Malta
1: Yes, so we've got funding from Arts Council Malta, we're very grateful, and we're applying for funding here as well, so hopefully we can get that as well, Um, so that we, so the aim is research, the R&D phase is in Malta in February, and then we're hoping to perform across May and July um, across parts of Malta and take it to schools potentially, depending on the age limit we put on it and then bring it and de- debut it at the fringe because it will be an hour. So it fits with the fringe. Um, and, and hopefully obviously like everyone else see from there, see where it goes and hope it, it can have a life outside of that. Um, and then as <laughs> the freelance had the other freelance had that I wear, I'm working on a show about young people voting and, and, um, the importance because I've been fascinated by voting and voting trends in the u k since I moved because in Malta voting is is super prevalent, and you go out to vote no matter what. But when mm-hmm. I moved here, I had people who were who were British asking me, <laughs> one person asked me what what is a Tory?" One person asked me what a hunk parliament was. And these were young people, like in their twenties. <laughs> and oh, I was wow. like, oh, wow. How do I know more about your government than you do? So I've really been fascinated by that. So I'm, I'm devising a show, um, hopefully, as part of Youth Theatre Arts Scotland um, a Director's Development Programme. And it's going to be like a... Uh, it's going to be a debate hopefully it's going to be a show that is around a debate club in a school where they're debating the topic of uh, anonymity versus sort of like very public life on social media. And then Mm -hmm. it descends into chaos and becomes actually a political piece about young people and their voting and how important it is for them to recognize the impact of their vote. Because, you know, young people vote loads when it comes to reality tv and they know they can understand the effects that vote what what, what their vote means with reality tv yeah. or or their favorite celebrity and getting them an award but not a lot of them translate that into their voting rights in politics because they're so and not to the anyone's fault. they're so disenfranchised from politicians so yeah that's but that's it.
0: It's interesting in light of the US elections recently where the analysis is coming out and that the young people yes. actually swung quite a lot of that. So yes, an interesting so time. So, yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, it sounds like you've got a lot going on. I say this to all my guests who come on because <laughs> everyone just seems like they're just wearing um, all the hats and doing yeah. all the things and it's no. wildly impressive but.
1: no uh <laughs> no let's demystify it I'm drowning I'm so overwhelmed oh, <laughs> but it's okay it's good
0: <laughs> how are you taking care of yourself <laughs> let's talk about that
1: oh that's a good question please tell me you are taking care of yourself (laughs) I'm trying it's a face mask and a video game usually that's what's like I'm just usually like uh, really aggressive video game not aggressive but it's like one where I can just go and smash things and shoot at people and (laughs) (laughs) I
0: have a couple more questions for you um so one is more weighty than the other two let's say so so the first one is (laughs) brace (laughs) um so the first one is um how do you think so in light of all the work that you're doing and your experiences of you know the negative ones that have happened unfortunately Mm -hmm. um so how do you feel that productions or casting professionals could actively address like diversity issues so rather than it feeling like a taking exercise for performers so what what do you think could be done in the industry if you don't know it that's fine because it's a big question but
1: (laughs) it's a big question I I do have ideas. And obviously, again, I reiterate, this is from my lived experience. And it's really important to know that there are some places across the UK that are doing great work. So I don't want to discredit anyone, but there are places that are still, like you say, doing the tick box, the Arts Council England, the Creative Scotland, necessary funding um, sort of criteria, tick boxing. Um, I think... It has to come from the top down. If your creative team, if your production team, if your managerial team, if your operations team looks and sounds exactly the same all the time, then no one is going to be in the room to challenge you. No one is going to be in the room where decisions are made and be able to challenge them and challenge casting white people as refugees you know you know like if you don't have decision makers that can challenge that then that's never going to trickle down and it's always going to remain a tick boxing exercise within these organizations I do think that as well it's creating the environment so you can have for example migrants or black people or asian heritage you know depending on who you employ you can have them in the room potentially but if there's just one of them against 10 of you for example then again you're not creating an environment that facilitates them being able to challenge that because personally i have no issue with calling out people because i'm allowed mediterranean but I appreciate that not everyone's like me. So in every situation, you always need to make sure that you're creating a safe and open space for your employees to be able to challenge that. And also having them at top level means that at lower level, at junior level, they see themselves represented. It's all about representation, isn't it, at the end of the day. If I work for an organization where I can't see myself, hear myself, then how am I ever going to know I can move up? How am I ever going to get the support I need to actually move forward in my career? It's so vital. It's so vital that organizations realize that it's not just about hiring a you know and i've seen them advertised loads and it's an absolute n- disgrace in my opinion when it's like specified bame internship for example i'm like why do you have to specify this is a bame person why are we using bame anyway it's quite an outdated language sort of and grouping because i'm technically bame because i'm a minority ethnic because i'm a migrant but then i'm uh, i'm so different and my my um sort of my experience and my worldview is so much different to a black British person or an Asian British person, Indian, Asian, Chinese, Asian, like you're grouping quite a huge, yeah, a huge, huge, huge amount of communities together that actually have very different lives and very different needs and very different viewpoints. So yeah. Also making sure that your jobs and your job applications are open to all and you're not just hiring one person and their title is literally BAME producer internship, for example. Just because that's the one I've seen the most, BAME producer intern. And I'm like, wow. That is so... Oh, that's the
0: actual job title?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The job title oh. has BAME in it. Oh, wow. So you're then okay. seeing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen that so much. Especially in the north, maybe where the language is different to what you see in London. Yeah. It's it's problematic, let's say, yeah. When you're singling out that employee to have their heritage within their job title. Absolutely. Because you know, you don't go you don't go and say the white British artistic director <laughs> or the white British programming person. What so why say BAME producer? It's silly. Um, and again, it's not creating an environment within your culture that is acceptant of all. Mm-hmm. I also think that having either a steering group or a board that is diverse can help make these decision, decisions easier because if, if you don't have those voices within the steering of an organization, then you're not going to have those voices in the recruitment of an organization. And the recruitment is key. It's key because if you're not recruiting the right people, or if you're just recruiting the friends or the people, you know, or the people you've worked with a lot, then you're never going to open the doors for the community that, you know, you're not serving. A lot of people I find it funny in the theater industry, industry are like oh but we can't seem to diversify our audiences well there's a reason for that they're not seeing themselves within your organization so why would they pay money to fund it Mm -hmm. why would they pay money to come in if they can't see themselves represented within your institution so yeah many ideas I can probably keep going forever but
0: (laughs) that could be a podcast in itself couldn't it? I should have asked you that
1: first (laughs) Sorry.
0: I <laughs> no, don't apologize. It's, it's so you um you co-host a podcast. So the active um is yeah. part of Prickly Pear Productions. Um so yeah, yeah. I've speaking to lots of podcasters at the moment. So you also have a podcast. Um and yeah. as part of that you interview artists across the world. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering like what you've spoken to people everywhere like Mexico, Malta, everywhere. So um, what cultural differences and similarities have you noticed between all the performers you've spoken to? I'm curious if there's like a thread of similar things.
1: (laughs) Yeah, oh, definitely. And that's such a good question. We have... Yeah, it has been such an insightful project to take on. And the reason we did it again is is because we wanted to find the cultural and similarities and show that actually people becoming actors or becoming directors, no matter where they are in the world, have the same passion and have the same drive as each other. And it has been so like absolutely amazing to speak to so many people we've spoken to 50 people now so we're slowly releasing these episodes um so yes so the similarities are that the passion and drive are the same around the world they are that funding opportunities are the exact same around the world and that they're abysmal and really hard to get and everyone's underpaid and everyone's Mm -hmm. overworked but they keep doing it because they love storytelling and they love the industry so that's beautiful to see that even in places like singapore where you think it's a very rich country even they don't have a lot of funding for the arts it's not something that's sort of like super well funded um so that's been a nice consolation (laughs) at least for me to be like oh everyone's suffering not just us (laughs) um (laughs) we'll we'll suffer together (laughs) we can all suffer together guys um (laughs) Something that comes up a lot is people who have worked and lived in the UK but now have gone back to their respective home countries, is there's actually not a spotlight or anything similar anywhere else. So they actually really struggled. So this is a big kudos to you guys. It comes up so much. And we mention you quite a lot in, in across our, oh, our episodes, is because people like go back to Canada, to the the States, to Germany. I'm just trying to remember all the countries where we've mentioned Spotlight. Um, Italy, um, Spain, Singapore. Like, they go back and they're like, oh, wow, there's no one place to see castings. There's no one place where people can find me. A lot of actors, actually, across the world. I guess it's similar for them, but not so similar in the UK is that they find castings through Facebook most of the time, which is obviously adds more stress. Um, yeah. So that's something we, yeah, we were really shocked to find out that major countries like Canada, like the States as well, don't have that one place, or at least some places that are a bit more established. Also found things, how, how much harder it is to get accredited and unionized in the states for example so there have been a, a quite a few shocking revelations of actually how privileged we are in the uk to have things like spotlights to have a union to have equity to have artist union rates that are determined obviously it's not perfect but you know there's that and and having acting credits means you can get a spotlight profile or having a degree means you can get a spotlight profile, for example, whereas in the States, you can't join a union. I-, I can't remember exactly, but it it takes years. And some people, it takes 15 years of acting to just join a union, which is shocking. Wow. Shocking. I was like, you should join a union. You should just be able to join a union. One click, you're in. Is,
0: is that the purpose of yeah.
1: a union? Yeah, that's that's what the purpose should be, shouldn't it? But in the States, yeah. there's huge loopholes. And even in Canada, if you're part of the union, you get paid equity rates like you are here. But if you're in the same production with non-union actors, the non-union get paid a lot less. So being a part of the union then in Canada, for example, and again, it's quite hard to join the union in Canada. Uh-huh means that you get paid equity, whereas if you're not part of the union and it takes you ages to get there because you have to build up all the acting credits, means that you get paid a lot less, means that you have to take up work elsewhere, means that you you don't end up acting as much, so it just becomes this loophole, this loop, sorry, of this constant circle of how do I get into the union if I'm not getting paid enough to even act full time. So that, that was all very shocking information because we kind of, assumed i guess going into it that a lot of countries in europe and a lot of places in the states and canada would have a really similar setup to the uk so that was really really also nice to realize the privilege we have here um and the opportunities we get aren't exactly yeah we would struggle more if we moved anywhere else um, I have to put a
0: link to your um, podcast in this, so people can people can have <laughs> yeah, a listen and see be, see what's
1: going on in other countries. <laughs> yeah, be, be kind on the editing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I try my best.
0: <laughs> and then my last question for you, um, which I always end with, which is, what are you currently reading or listening to or watching that you would recommend to other people?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Really great questions. Well done. This has been really fun. Um, (laughs) um, So I'm listening to... I'd recommend two things. So I'm listening to Archetypes by um, Megan... uh, Oh my God. Markle. Megan Markle. Is that her last name? The now... Meghan Markle, yeah. Meghan Markle, yeah. So listening to Archetypes, which is about the archetypes that are put on women, especially women from minorities. So for example, her first episode looks at um, Drive and Success with Serena Williams and how she was labelled an angry black woman for doing things that her white male counterparts in tennis would be be seen as passion, for example. So she looks at that, which is really interesting so that's a podcast as well and I'm reading How to Kill Your Family <laughs> by Bella Mackey uh, which is really good it's, I would really recommend it I'm, I'm more than halfway through and I'm hooked it's a great book and she's a great author um, Bella Mackey is awesome I'm a huge fan would love to meet her one day so Bella Mackey if you're out there or if someone knows Bella Mackey please introduce me <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which we'll off your email here please <laughs> Thank you very much Zoe for your time we really appreciated it <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for having me it's been an absolute pleasure uh, yeah